We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Happy Nation, welcome to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. You know what today is. Today is Friday. Free for all mailbag. Always get to end the week on the right way with you all out there, kind of leading the conversation, of course. I'm Ryan Roberts, Director of Recruiting here at IrishBreakdown.com. Joined by my guy, Mr. Brian Driscoll, the publisher here at IrishBreakdown.com. We missed you all. We weren't able to do a show yesterday, obviously, but we're back and ready, locked and loaded. To end the week off right, always busy weeks here. <laughs> it never slows down here in Notre Dame land, right? We obviously had uh, Marty Biaggi, who was officially named as the special teams coordinator. Well, not player. officially, officially. Like, Notre Dame hasn't named it, but the interviews are over. They found their guy. It's Yes. Yeah. Yep. So we got a new coach new coach on the, uh, on the way in. We have recruiting news, as always. We have team news. You were just – able to catch some of the interviews a couple days ago, obviously, for yeah. some of the newcomers on campus. So it's busy times, Brian, but uh, yeah. it's going to be a, it's going to be a good way to end the week, man. Yes. Uh, let, let, yes. Letting everybody lead this conversation. Yes. So we could, yes. we could talk Notre Dame football. We could talk about coaching hires. We could talk about NFL. We could talk Recruiting, about anything, draft, anything, history, ask, movies, ask Brian <laughs> his favorite food takes. Ask him it, man. Ask him it. We're locked yeah. and loaded. I know we already had a million questions ready to yeah. go. Somebody beat John A1 today, though, by like the way. Like a lot so. of people beat John yes. A1 today. So I'm, I'm actually worried about John. I'm getting ready to shoot him a text and be like, hey, man, you okay, man? I don't see any questions from you here. So For I think real. he's just letting y'all kind of get a little bit of a head start. So that's what well, I think is going on. Well, until John gets in here, let's get it started and kicked off with Notre Dame 2164. Thank you for the question. With our running back room being as stacked as it is, what is your guys' opinion about how much we will, should see both Jadarian Price and Jeremiah Love in 2023? Well, I think when you have kids like that on your roster, I, I don't care who you have coming back. You've got to find a way to use weapons like that some way, somehow. And I think that's where a smart coach because like I know there's obsession with like, you know, use your starters on special teams. I'm like, that's fine if those guys are genuinely head and shoulders above other players. But I'm I'm kind of like, okay, do I really need to use JD Bertrand on the special teams? Or is that a great chance to get Nolan Ziegler some opportunities to run down the field? You know, and I just think this whole 
using your starter thing is a little overplayed. And Notre Dame didn't use as many starters on special teams as people think they did last year. I mean, Foskey played a bunch and Jack Kaiser played a bunch, but there's a lot of starters that didn't play a ton on special teams. And so I think it's that that right there is a great way to use those two guys. I mean, first of all, Jeremiah Love was a kid that some people recruited as a defensive back. So <laughs> why not have him on your coverage units? You know what I mean? And and the other part is, is I'm getting those guys assuming this is assumes also that Jadarian Price is healthy and back to full speed, right? So we're working with that assumption to answer this question for me, Ryan, is he's my those are my two kick returners back there. And and it's whatever side it gets kicked to, that's who's taking the ball. And I would give Jeremiah Love an opportunity to return punts as well. So yep. th- th- those are the first two ways to get them touches. I would have Jeremiah Love potentially on some of my kickoff coverage teams. I mean, I'm going to use his athleticism, his tackling ability, his size, his speed. And then anytime I have even the the smallest lead in a game, I'm giving those guys opportunities to touch the football. And I don't mean smallest lead. I'm talking about like smallest big lead in a game, right? Like as soon as I get like 20, something like that, I'm saying, okay, Let's get a series for Jadarian here. Let's get it. Let's go 21 and throw one of these two guys in as the number two back in this situation. That's what I would like to see them do. And of course, if there's blowouts, give those guys the rock. I mean, that's running the ball, throw screens, throw it to them, all that. Those guys, those young guys need to touch the football this year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, and I, I would say this too, Brian. Like we, I mean, we saw Jadarian Price last offseason before the injury happened, right? Like he was going to play a lot last year. He was going to be in the kick return conversation. He was going to be in the running back conversation last year. So I think special teams is the perfect way to get those guys some touches. I mean, Jadarian Price is explosive, straight line fast. J- Jeremiah Love brings kind of that same qualities. And I'd love the note that you made on punt returner because he's also has a little bit more wiggle than you would anticipate. I mean, he's a 6'1", kind of high-cut guy, but like he can change direction, man, really well. So punt return, I think, makes a lot of sense. And then as a kickoff coverage unit guy, 
it makes even more sense. In my, well, not even more sense. It makes also additionally as equal of sense to get a guy like a Jeremy, Jer- Jeremiah Love a part of that unit because what do you look for when you're talking about covering kicks and punts? You're looking for length. You're looking for speed. speed. Two things that Jeremiah Love has in volume. So like you and said, I mean, size. I mean, exactly. look, he's, Ryan, he's bigger and he's going to be faster than every guy they have on at safety except maybe Ramon Henderson. Right, that's the only guy that's probably faster than Jeremiah Love. He's faster than all of them, and he's bigger than most of them too. And same thing with the corners, right? I mean, he's faster than most of the corners that they have. So, to your point, the, the reason I bring it up is those are guys that are normally considered for those positions. Well, why not a kid like him? That that's yeah. that's my whole point. Is could- Lorenzo Styles off punt coverage? Not not that Lorenzo can't do it, but I, I want Lorenzo focusing on being the best wide receiver he can be maybe put jeremiah out there as the gunner so those are things you need to do is like look you just can't throw every freshman you have down there on special teams and expect that good special teams but sometimes you have a guy that's just like this guy's too big too good too athletic for us not to find a way to use him and that's how i see jeremiah love and he's just such a physical player as well not only from the running style but i mean i remember my first conversation ever happy with him that was before like people were kind of honing in at running back at that point he was like Man, I could be a lockdown quarter if I wanted to. I'm like, all right, brother. Well, you have a chance to maybe make some tackles potentially early on in your Notre Dame career. So I think special teams makes a lot of sense. I'm very interested to see how quickly Jadarian gets back to full health. Because, I mean, again, I know that we have Logan Diggs and Audrick Estime who are proven commodities at this point coming back. But you can't ignore the fact that before the injury, Jerry Price was going to play a lot of football at running back, right? So I'm interested to see how quickly he gets back and how quickly he can assert himself on getting some of those touches in the backfield. It would be interesting to see, I think. Yeah, it's a great problem to have, though, right, Ryan? I mean, we're sitting there talking about how to get these really athletic guys in the field. I mean, a couple years ago, these are your one and two backs at the worst, two and three. And, you know, and nobody's even talking about Jabron Payne, who was a four-star exactly. running back coming out of high school. Exactly. And if Jabron like, doesn't have good. the injuries his last two years, we're having to come. Well, first of all, he's probably not at Notre Dame because sure. he wouldn't have been in Indiana. He'd have been Ohio State, you know, Michigan, somewhere like that if he doesn't have the injuries. So, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. We we forget about Jabron. Jabron's a good football player. There's I no mean, we, we, we saw him back on a kickoff return right. this past year. He didn't get a chance to return it, but he was back there against Syracuse. So another guy that you can't forget about as far as the special teams conversation, too. No doubt. From Shane O'Shea, thank you so much for the question. Thanks, thank, thank you for the best Notre Dame coverage around. How would you rate the top 10 coaches in college football? Oh, no, we're doing a top 10 list this early in the show. Oh, no. Well, there was there – was, um... There was a list that came out yesterday, I think from 247 Sports or something like that. I can't remember who it was, but um, it was interesting. I mean, look, first of all, Ryan, we got to set the terms. What does top 10 mean? Does top 10 mean what guys have done in the last five years? Is it the last 10 years? Is it for the entirety of their careers? I think that kind of impacts who's going to be in top 10. So if you're going to say, hey, who are the top 10 coaches in college football right now based on what they've done at the last five to 10 years? I'm going to have I'm not going to have Mac Brown on that list. Sure. But if you're going to say give me the top 10 coaches right now in college football and you take the entirety of their resume into consideration, there's no way you cannot have Mac Brown on that list for what he did at North Carolina the first time, winning a championship at Texas, took him to another championship game. And he's done an okay job at Texas at North Carolina this time. So I think that's a criteria, right? So the first thing we need to do is are we talking sort of recent history? Are we talking last five to ten years? Are we are are we talking about the last five to seven years? 
let, let, let's kind of set the terms first before we kind of come up with with what yeah. that list is going to be. So when you when you think about that, are you more talking about right now based on what we've seen in recent history? How do you define the top 10 in your opinion? My mind definitely went to more short-term success than long-term success. So I would say maybe last five years or so, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause I think we, we, we do hit a little bit of that weird kind of line of like, you know, guys that we're just talking about that were more better play, better coaches, maybe seven, eight years ago and haven't been as good recently. Right. right? So like, I, I think the recently, because I think of like, if I wanted five coaches in college football right now, I don't care what you did 10 years ago, right? Like I care about like right. very recent well, like how Jimbo, good you've been. Yeah. I don't I don't give Jimbo a ton of credit for winning a national championship because he's been so pretty much bad after since yeah. then, right? I mean, yeah. so yeah, I, I prefer it that way. I, I like it kind of having it to where it's it's sort of recent history. So sure. when you when you look at at it right now, Ryan, so who give me your top give me your top guy right now. Who's your top guy in college football, right? So if we're gonna talk last let's say seven years, let's take the last seven years into consideration, right? So more than just one cycle. So that would be what, 22, 21, 20, 19, 18, 17, 16. So from 2016 on, yeah, you know, I think there's three guys right now that are clearly head and shoulders ahead of everybody else. And that is in some order, Dabo, Nick Sweeney, Nick Saban and, and Kirby Smart. Yes. And I think right now, I mean, you, it's hard for me not to put Kirby number one if we're going to talk recent history. I mean, sure. they've got, what, two titles in that stretch. Alabama has two titles in that stretch, correct, 17 and 20. Yep. Georgia's the two most recent. So you could make a case for 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 uh, Kirby to be number one. But if you're going to take the entirety of the last seven years, I think you could also make a case for Nick Saban still being on the top of that I, list. I probably would keep Nick Saban at number one personally because I mean, also I kind of look at the national championship two years ago, and I'm still kind of sitting here like if Jamison Williams doesn't get hurt, like that game might turn out completely different. You know, meaning I mean? Alabama would have another title. Yes, yes exactly. Three. So well, you if, might be able to add another one. One of the two receivers doesn't get hurt, Jamison or Minch or, or um, um, John Mechie. Mechie. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. Minchie. Mechie. I think they win that game. I mean, that, Georgia could not cover them early in that game. They just they couldn't. just couldn't. Jameson was killing yeah. them early in that game. He was. So play. I mean, I, I I would I would probably go with Nick Saban number one. I would go for Kirby number two because I mean, back to back national championships. They're kind of becoming a little closer. They're come, they're the new standard in college football as far sure. as what teams are trying to emulate. And then Dabo is a very strong third yeah. for me for what he's been able to do at Clemson. If we're talking the last two to three, three to four years, like the current senior class, it's it's Kirby. But if we're going to push it five to seven, you've got two titles for Saban in there as well. De, uh, I'm trying to think. So in that stretch now, it's actually kind of interesting. So it's 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. So Georgia's made three championship game appearances during that stretch. We kind of forget that. And then obviously Alabama beat them the first time. Georgia beat him the second time. Alabama also has a win over Ohio State in a championship game that and during that period of time as well. So yeah, I I uh I think either one of those two guys is is there. I think that's that's a fair one. Who what else does your and again I'm not going to name them one through ten right now. I'd have to spend some more time on that. But Ryan, who are some other guys right now that you'd have in your in in your top ten? Obviously for me, we already said Dabo. We said Saban and we said Kirby, right? Yeah. Uh, look, this is, I'll just, I'll throw one out there that some people may not like 
but it's impossible to not have Jim Harbaugh on that list right now. Oh, with what he's done the last two years, especially like, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. but like he had, he look, Jim Harbaugh is a weird guy and, and there's no doubt about it. And I think that kind of distracts from some things and then the NFL flirtation, but, but look, here's what he's done in the last seven years, 10 and three, eight and five, 10 and three, nine and four. And you had the COVID year of just two and four, then 12 and two and 13 and one. I think you can debate where he is in the top 10. That's a very fair debate, yeah. but he needs to be in the top 10, in my opinion, for sure. Yeah. yeah. As and, does Ryan Day, in my view. Yep. I, I would put Kyle Whittingham in there somewhere as well. You know, back-to-back Pac-12 championships. And I know we're not talking about longevity, but even, even short-term, I mean, he's overachieved with some very solid Utah teams, good Utah right. teams, and made them look a lot better in my opinion. So I would That's put Kyle Whittingham in there. Two conference championships, right? In that yep. in that stretch. I mean, so now here's the thing. The, the early part of this period was not great. Nine and four, seven, six, nine and five. But in the last four years, they've gone 11 and three, three yep. and two, 10 and four, and 10 and four. And they've got two Pac-12 championships, back-to-back Rose Bowl appearances. He'd be on the bottom and, and, and he'd be a debatable one for me just because I think the Pac-12 has been down a little bit. But he's in the conversation for me. Uh, Lincoln Riley's in this is is a, is to me a top ten coach. I think that what he did at USC this year solidified that for me. I wanted to see what he would do at a new place where he didn't in- inherit a great situation like he did at Oklahoma because Oklahoma to me was sort of descending slowly under his tenure. They were getting worse Stoops. and worse every year yeah. the further he got away from Stoops. But he took over a USC team that was a mess. Well, transfer portal, but that's the rules. He took advantage of the rules and, you know, broke some, but so is kind of everybody else. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he's done a, he's done a really nice job for me. Brian Kelly has to be in that list. Yeah. I, I was going to, that was going to be my next guy. Yeah. Brian Kelly. Brian yeah. Kelly has to be in that list. I mean, look, you look at what he did at Notre Dame. Uh, Cause the, now this stretch begins in 2016 and his team went four and eight since then, every team he's coached has won 10 plus games. Yep. Uh, so you know, to me, he's got to he's got to be in that conversation. So we've and, got. And Davos. He, uh, he Go also ahead. didn't. He also didn't. He didn't fall into a great situation situation with LSU right. either, right? And he right. did a good job in your one, right? So. As we as I said last year, and LSU fans got all upset about it. He inherited a dumpster fire. He did. There's no debating right. that. And they went out and won ten games his first year. Had some bad losses too, but they also had some very good wins during that stretch. So. He's in that conversation for me. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting because there's some coaches that that a lot of people have, like James Franklin's in a lot of people's top 10. He's not for me. I just – I don't have a lot of respect for him as a coach. Yeah. But I'm trying to think of of some other guys. I mean – The might, problem is that it, it thins out a little bit after that top three or yeah. four, you know, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. okay. I'd have Mike Gundy in that conversation. For me, I think Mike Gundy's consistency at Oklahoma State's impressive at a place that just it's hard to win at. Yeah, you know that's a good one for me. Lane Kiffin would not be on mine. I, I, Lane Kiffin's a good coach, but he's got to win something meaningful for me to or win over a period of time. I mean, look, I would argue Lane. I would argue James Franklin has a stronger case to be on there than Lane Kiffin does. Yeah. I've seen some people mention. Uh, I've seen some people mention there. Um, so yeah, that's uh, those are kind of those are some ones for me, Ryan. I, I'd have a hard time kind of coming up with ten just right off the top of my head. I'm, I'm trying to go through the standings and see if there's anybody that we're missing. Jimbo's not on the list for me. He's definitely what, not on the list for me. What do you think? Because I know they didn't have a great year this past year, but 
I have liked a lot of what Mike Stoops has done in Kentucky over the last few years, but I'm yeah. not sure if they would yeah. quite qualify. Uh, be close. Yeah, I'm not ready to put him in the top ten category, but yeah, he's done some nice things. He's done some nice things. Yeah. I think Dave Aranda's got a chance if he can kind of get them ascending to be in there. But again, he's not in there right now. I'm just going through the list sure. of 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 coaches right now. Um, not putting Jeff Brom in there. I'm not putting Kirk Ferentz in there. Uh, some people have mentioned Luke Fickle. He's not a top ten coach for me. He had a couple good, really good years on on teams that were recruited primarily by other people, and as those players left, he kind of they kind of faltered a little bit. I'm I'm not a I'm not a big Luke Fickle fan, if I'm being completely honest with you. I'm just he's he's not on that radar for me. There's and and look, a lot of coaches that were would have been on these lists or competing on this list are coming off really brutally bad years, like Mario Cristobal. You know, he's he wouldn't have been top ten, but he'd at least been in the conversation for me. David Shaw a few years ago was in that conversation for me. Gary Patterson was in that conversation for me three, four years ago, and those guys are not around anymore. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly's going to have a chance to crack this list in a couple of years if he can get back on track. You can't have him on there now, Ryan, because he first half of this tenure, this period, he wasn't even coaching in college football. Yeah, you know, he was in the NFL in 16 and didn't coach anywhere in 17. His first three years at UCLA were losing seasons, but he's slowly getting back on track. And he's a guy that I'm very curious to see what they're going to do this year. If, if, if we had a top five to 10 offensive minds in college football, then yeah, sure. Chip Kelly would be on sure. that list. But yeah, you I mean, know, he's like, building up a little bit more. I can't put Josh Heupel on that list. I can't put, you know, I'm just look. I'm just going through the coaches. There's a lot of younger, newer coaches. Obviously, Mike Leach would have had a shot to be in that conversation had he not passed away. Sure. I'm not putting Lane Kiffin in that conversation. I mean, you could make a case that Hugh Freeze, if if we if we if we have a uh, if we don't have a morality clause, right? Or then then he you know he's a guy that's in that because con- he's did some really nice things at Liberty. He did some, and he was he was he look he didn't get fired at Ole Miss because he didn't win. Right. You know what I mean? He got fired at Ole Miss because he's a was at the time. I mean, hopefully he's turned his life around, but at the time a pretty moral guy and a big cheater, you know. But they they ranked I mean, his two of his last three years, except you know, they, they ranked in the top 20. And then at Liberty, he's had a winning record every year at Liberty and take him to a bowl game every year. So he's a he's potentially in the conversation. Somebody said Lincoln Riley. We already talked about Lincoln Riley. I mean, can you think of anybody else that deserves to be in this conversation, Ryan? I, it's, I'm hard. I'm having a hard time coming up with a ten. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a lot of guys yeah. that I think could make that jump in like a year or two. Like, Kalen DeBoer maybe is in that conversation yeah. in like a year or two. You know what yeah. I mean? Hopefully, like, we'll Marcus with, Freeman's yeah. in that conversation in a couple sure. of years. But sure. yeah, we'll have to see on that one. But uh, yeah, I'm very cu- I'm very curious to see how this evolves because it was a pretty solid 10 a couple years ago, but there's a lot of, you know, like urban Meyer was still coaching and it was a pretty solid group, but now it's. And I think, I think usually the teams that the programs that you're usually picking from for this type of list, they're like a little down right now, you know, it's yeah. like Texas, Florida, yeah. Miami. Like, right. Somebody asked about situations. Sonny Dykes. Sonny Dykes has done a nice job. Uh, it's just, I need to see a little bit more of him at the, at the big boy level. For me, yeah. uh, but he did a phenomenal job this year, and he did a good job at SMU. I mean, you know, he took over a program that wasn't great uh, and went ten and three in nineteen, went seven and three the COVID year, went eight and four his last year, which is all good. It's all good things, but you know, his last year at Cal was part of this where he got fired. They, they, uh, you know, two thousand seventeen at SMU, uh, you know, he he took over for the bowl game, coached him in the bowl game. So I mean, so he he didn't coach in seventeen really. And, uh, 
you know, then did a nice job at SMU. So he's, I'm not ready for him. Like I, I want to avoid the one year wonders, right? Like that, that to me is, is where I want to be, but it's, it's a, it's, it's a tough one, man. It, there's, but there's a lot of young coaches that I'm really curious to see how they develop these next few years to join that list. That's going to be a really interesting one, but the top three are still the, still the same. And, and Luke Fickle has a big opportunity here now, man, sure. at Wisconsin. Like, show what you got. At a, if you can get them going, level. I'll be willing to put them on there. And he yeah. may deserve to be on the bottom 10 of this list just by default. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I just uh, – I wouldn't feel great about – I'd put James Franklin on there before Luke Fickle because James Franklin has more good seasons than Luke Fickle. Like, Luke Fickle's last three years at Cincinnati were pretty good. Uh, it, it's just, you know – I don't know. I I just I guess I don't give him as much credit as he probably deserves for that. I just I don't know. Maybe it's just him. Maybe I just don't like. Him. He actually had four really good years. You know what? I, he he I would probably like he probably eke out in the top ten. He would probably. But I got to put. I'm looking at the record: eleven and two, eleven and three, nine and one, thirteen and one, nine and three. His last five years. I got to put him in there. I I don't like him very much, but I got to put him in there. That I got to take my personal feelings aside. I mean, when you're down years nine and three. <laughs> you know, yeah. I probably I probably got to put him in there. I probably got to put him in there. I just I just don't care much for Luke Fickle to be completely honest with you. But yeah, I mean, when you're talking about that being your record, so we've got eight Ryan. I think the last ten, I pre- I probably have to put James Franklin on there if I'm going to be completely honest with you. Again, another guy that I'm not I'm not a big fan of, but as we're having a hard time finding ten coaches to put on here, and you're talking about a guy that since 2016 has had four 11 win seasons a rose bowl win a cotton bowl win and a fiesta bowl win how many people can have that on their resume sure right. now again i i think soft schedules and some other thing and they haven't maximized their talent but look being a re- good recruiter is part of being a head coach right and there's other guys who are not great recruiters but really good coaches so i i've got to put those those last two fickle and franklin i think are probably where it would round out my top 10 which shows you how easy it, it there's a an opportunity there for some people to jump into this there's, list. There's there's yeah. definitely a little bit of a drop off, man. Like yeah. I mean, you've seen some guys retire, some guys lose jobs over the last couple of years. Like someone's got to fit that last the last couple yes. of spots, I guess. So there we are. So we, we've got our ten, Ryan. We've got Dabo Sweeney. This is in no order. This is how I wrote yeah. it down. Dabo Sweeney, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, Kyle Winningham, Brian Kelly, James Franklin, and Luke Fickle. Those are our ten. So. Yeah, Com- um, I'm comfortable with that, man. I can live with that. that. I can yeah. live with that. Again, that was not in an order. That was because I would have Brian Kelly ahead of Kyle Winningham, probably, just for the consistency of it. I would have, I would, yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I'd move it around a little bit. But yeah, that would be, that'd be my 10 for now. Be my 10 for now. Good question. Good, good starting question. Good early question. From Vanilla Chill, he says, if Sam Hartman is the quarterback, do you see Tyler Buckner being involved with the offense with more packages? Do you think it could be a bigger package for him compared to the 21 season with Jack Cohn and him? Ryan, I'm, I'm back and forth on this one. The other day, I think I said, you'd be nuts not to have Tyler Buckner involved in the offense in some capacity. Yeah. And I still believe that to be true, but here's the other part of this. And it, it, it got me thinking as I wrote an article today at irishbreakdown.com and the article was basically the premise was that if, if Tyler Buckner handles the next nine months correctly and well and has the right kind of attitude and, and looks at the opportunity that's in front of him, <clears throat> if he doesn't start at quarterback, right, let's assume that he doesn't win the starting job. 
for me, I, I look at it and say, this could be a great opportunity for him. And the, the point that I made in the article was he can learn from a guy. He like, like the, He's going to learn a lot more under Sam Hartman than he did under Jack Cohn. And, and the point being, not that Jack Cohn wasn't a great leader and all that, but they're so different in styles. Sam Hartman and Tyler Buckner have more similarities where Sam Hartman's a you know can throw off platform, can throw while getting hit, can move maneuver the pocket, the similar S- body similar type. body types, yeah, yeah. There's a types. lot of things where you could say. I mean, now Tyler's a more dynamic athlete, but there's a lot of things that Sam can sort of teach Tyler either personally or just by Tyler watching and studying him and decision making and all those type of things. And if Tyler doesn't play a lot this year. And just says, hey, I'm focusing on building up my footwork and building up my technique and, and doing those type of things. You know, those are all things, Ryan, that you look at and say, you know, I, I could see him taking a big jump as a player. But if you start throwing him in there into that niche, like that niche package, does that take away from that improvement technically? Yeah. So is it better to use him as a change of pace this year or – to have him focus on building up his quarterback skills. And the reason that I've been back and forth on it is he's a dynamic athlete, but we're in a different situation than we were two years ago when it was Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree, and then, you know, Logan and Audric were true freshmen. And you looked at it, you, you didn't have necessarily quite as good a depth as you do right now, where if I'm putting Tyler in the game for touches, then I'm taking touches away from my running backs so I'm, I'm back and forth on it, and at the end of the day, there's no wrong answer. If your goal is to develop Tyler as a quarterback, and so you want to remove him from that, from that that aspect of the runner, and and focus more on the other aspects of it, then then I would be okay with that. If your goal is to still say he's still just too good not to play, I'm good with that too because he is, and so I'm. I'm torn, Ryan. And if you asked me today, I'd probably lean towards just really enhancing him and not necessarily putting him in a lot of those packages unless you're going to let him throw. And and so that's kind of where I'm at with that. You asked me the same question next Friday, and I may be different because I may have just watched some of his 21 highlights where he's running around and making plays. I'm like, how do you not put that on the field? So I, I just don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer on this one. I, I don't think there is either. I know we talked about it the other day, and I would be for a red zone package. Like I don't want a full package where it's just like a full drive. You throw Tyler Buckner in there and it's a complete changeup. Like if there is a situation though, where I'm against the team that is a little bit slower on the second level or doesn't handle misdirection very well and runs a lot of man coverage in the red zone, like Tyler Buckner in there, in there, man, it's just such a, such a mismatch in those types of situations. I'm not talking about just running wildcat with them, right? Like I'm talking about actually running a, red zone offense with him to get, you know, use, utilize both his arms and his legs. And I think that you can simplify that enough, or at least keep that package, you know, I don't want, I don't want to say simplistic because it doesn't have to be simplistic, but just kind of one note enough where you could still build it up, you know, where you could still build up and everything. And then just one period of practice, maybe this is your red zone offense. This is what we're working on right now in red zone. Here's the Tyler package out of the red zone offense. Cause the, the number one thing that I want to get accomplished this offseason is for Tyler Buckner to buy in. I do want him to get the body in as far as being the quarterback here long term, right? Whether that is in 2023 or 2024, because I think that the great thing about now having Gino Gadouli as the 
quarterback coach, and that's all he is, is the quarterback coach, is that he, I mean, that could almost become the project, right? It's like, yeah, you want to build up Sam Hartman as a six-year senior. You want to get the best ball out of him. But, hey, Gino, that, that really talented quarterback over there that isn't playing as much because there's a six-year senior now in front of him, like, that's your guy, man. Build him up to 2024 and get his confidence back, man, and let him know that we believe in him. We believe in him as long as he can stay healthy. So I think you could still do the – Project the Geno project and get Tyler ready, but also still have a red zone package. Still have something that is that change up when the game is in a interesting situation and the team is going man, man coverage in the red zone and they're not great on the second level. And Tyler can be just a dynamic weapon in that department. So I think there's something that you could kind of marry. I think there's a marriage that could happen between those two ideologies. Ryan, I got the next question because it's for you. So we have a super sure. chat from Tyler Evans, and he says, Mr. Roberts, after Anthony Richardson's combine, did he get himself drafted in the top 10? And Ryan, I want you to answer this question two ways if you can. Number one sure. is, because I, I know the answer to this as far as what you think will happen. I saw your guys, you and Joe's mock draft on yeah. that. So number one is, will it happen? Like, will he get himself drafted? And number two, the second part I want you to answer, that's more me adding on to Tyler's question is, do you think he should be a top 10 quarterback? So first, after the combine performance, do you think Anthony Richardson will now get drafted in the top 10? Yeah, but I, yes, but I don't think that it was just because of the combine. I think that NFL teams are very intrigued by his athleticism even before and his upside before the combine. But I think the combine just kind of, for me, Tyler, like it reaffirms just how athletic this kid is, right? Like it put it elite athlete. Yes. I mean, at that size, Ryan, yeah, that is freaky athletic. I mean, Brian, like the the you know the relative athletic score stuff, right? Like the RAS stuff. Technically, when you take everything to account, his size, athleticism, all the testing combined, he graded out as the most athletic quarterback to ever test at the combine. Like that's kind of where it is, right? Like this isn't a good athlete. This isn't a great athlete. This is an elite athlete, and we already knew that, though, right? But I think that when you got to the combine, to the throwing section of the portion of it. There was a lot of highs, some really impressive throws. But then there's some throws where you're just like, he just needs time, man. Like, he needs more bullets. He needs more development. Like, there's some throws where it's just like easy three to five step drop. You're throwing it out, and it's just like he's just a tick late to that, right? So the ball's coming on the inside shoulder on an, on an out route, and you're just like, in the NFL, that's an interception, right? Or a pass breakup or something very negative. Like, that stuff is just not going to fly. So it's he's such a puzzling player because – I think there is two worlds for Anthony Richardson. If he lines up with the perfect situation where maybe he's eased along in the right system under good coaching, could be a superstar. You could convince me that happens. But then the other side of it is if he lands in the wrong situation, he's pressing to too much early time, then man, your general manager might get fired in two years. Like that's kind of where we are. Like it is such a boomer bust. So all that to say is to the second part of the question, should he be drafted in the top 10 in a vacuum? No. He should not because right. he's not ready. He's not ready. This is a kid that I would love for a playoff team to draft in the late parts of the first round. Yes. That's who I, I would love him to just go to a team where you could sit, you can mature, you can see what it's like to be a pro because he just turned 21 years old, man. This is still a young cat. This isn't like Will Levis at 24 years old. Like This is a 21-year-old kid who only has 10 career starts under his belt. So I would I would be okay with him being drafted in the late first round in the right situation, 
But at the end of the day, he's going to get drafted in the top 10. He's going to. And the problem is quarterback plays so bad right now in the NFL that it's just how do you turn – like, and and here – here I was having a conversation with a friend of mine last night. He's like, well, well, I think Will Levis is a better player than Anthony Richardson. And I was like, based on what? And he said, well, his 2021 season was really good. And I was like, no, it wasn't. He threw for 2,800 yards, 24 touchdowns, and 13 picks. And like 10 of his touchdowns, 10 of his 24 touchdowns, Ryan, came against like Louisiana Monroe, Chattanooga, and I think uh, some other FCS team they played late in the year that wasn't any good. New Mexico State or something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, no, he wasn't that good. And and to me, the, here's the difference. When I look at Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, I see some similarities. Huge arm, although Anthony Richardson to me is bigger and a better all-around athlete. Sure. But when I watch Anthony Richardson, I think his issues reading defenses are experience-based. Yes. Where I just don't think Will Levis can read a defense. I He's think he has, ba- he has bad field vision. He has bad yes. field vision. I think yes. that's perfect. And so, like, that's like Ian Book can throw a million passes, and that's he's just he is who he is. And I mean, no disrespect, Will Levis isn't going to go to the NFL as, as he's and here's the thing Anthony Richardson is a redshirt sophomore, Will yep. Levis is a fifth year senior. That's the difference. So, if I had to take a chance, a flyer on a big time quarterback, I'm taking Anthony Richardson over Will Levis every single day of the week and twice on Sundays. To your point, I would hope that he can go somewhere, that he doesn't have to play right away. I'm going to throw something crazy out to you, and I know you're going to disagree, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Uh-oh. Do you know what I think would be the perfect situation for Anthony Richardson? Again, not for the can team. Can I guess? Can yeah. I guess? Because I, I, on the mock draft show that I did that should be out on, on, our, on CFB Nation soon, right? I put him to the Seattle Seahawks at number five in kind of a realism, but also – you know, kind of speculation type of thing because he can sit behind Geno Smith for a year, you know, and because they are now he's on a three year deal. It's a pretty team friendly contract for a quarterback that just threw 30 something touchdowns last year. And he's not pressed, but also if he is developed properly in a year or two, depending on how the kind of the timelines goes, you have DK Metcalf, Tyler yes. Lockett. You have some dudes around him, man, where you're just like, okay, I think I can deal with that a little bit. I think I can feel it. For me, Ryan, it was Seattle was one, but the one that was even better for me, for him, was Detroit. And and here's why I say that. Because with Seattle, well, see, here, the interesting thing with both of them, they both make a lot of sense because they both have two first-round draft picks. Yeah. And they're both picking in the top 10 because of someone else. So you're playing with house money, so to speak, right? Where Detroit's not picking six because they sucked last year. No. They're picking six because they do a trade for Jared Goff. And that's the reason why, too, is Jared Goff, to me, is a solid, okay NFL quarterback, right? Like, they just got a lot better with Jared Goff, a quarterback, and he is part of their success. But he's also a guy that has a he has a plateau to hit. Jared Goff's not as bad of a quarterback as people make him out to be. The kids he's, played in the flipping Super Bowl, solid, man. and he rock just helped solid. turn the, the Lions around. Yep. Learn under him. He's not a really – like, he's not that kind of personality where it could create some issues where I wonder if Anthony and Geno on the same – like, would Geno be more Aaron Rodgers? And Brett Favre as a leader, I don't know the answer to that, but I feel like Jared Goff would be a guy that just seems to me to have more of a personality, to be more of a take a guy under your wing kind of area. And you're going to a system that doesn't put as much on the shoulder, the quarterback's shoulders early on also. And then Detroit would still have pick number 18. Yeah. So look, Detroit's not winning the Super Bowl next year. That That's the reality. So this is such a great opportunity. They're still a pretty young team. 
this draft is a great opportunity for them to come out and say, we're going to prepare for our future and then help ourselves in the present at 18. Yeah. That's where I kind of look at it. If I'm, if I'm Detroit, and I think that would even be a better situation for me than Seattle. In my view, Detroit quietly had a top five offense in the NFL last year too. Like they were pretty good, man. There's not a need for him to go there. I think Seattle is fits that perfectly. There's no need for him to play there. Yeah. No need. Right. And so let him let him do the Steve McNair route, the Aaron Rodgers route, where these guys can kind of come in, learn for a year or two, then get your chance to shine. So right. those are my takes for him. I would see that. And so, like somebody just said it. Gavin Harden just said it. I mean, if you come out of the draft with this as your number one and your number two in the first round, he said Anthony Richardson and Michael Mayer. <laughs> I mean, that's a heck of a first well, round. Well, man, I, I, I gave uh... – I gave the Detroit Lions Michael Mayer in a mock draft. The Detroit fans told me I'm an absolute idiot for drafting a tight end in the first round with the Detroit Lions. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So that would be an interesting one. I, and, I would, and you can I would, re, yeah. you can reunite Michael Mayer and Brock Wright. How fantastic would that be? Yeah. How fantastic would yeah. that be? So that's an interesting one, Ryan. But to your point, in a perfect world, the Lions could take him at 18. That's where he yeah. should be drafted. To your point, the Lions can take someone at six who's, you know, uh, can help us right now. And then at 18, they could take an Anthony Richardson type. That's that's how it should be if the NFL wasn't quarterback crazy, yeah. in my opinion, because they absolutely are quarterback crazy. All right, here we go. Oh, we actually have one more super chat, Ryan, uh, mm-hmm. from down here from Kay Grant. I wanted to pull that one up. So he gave us a, a super chat. Thank you very, very much for that, Kay Grant. And then he had a question to go with that, Ryan. He said, Kay Grant was chatting with a buddy of mine who's also a Notre Dame fan. The discussion was can a Notre Dame coach be considered a legend without a title? No, not in football. Yeah. You can in basketball. I think you could in basketball. I don't think you could in football, men's basketball. In football, I don't think you can be considered a legend. And that's my big thing on Brian Kelly. Like, oh, he's winning. His, that's a longevity award. You're defined by greatness by when, whether you win championships at a place like Notre Dame. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think, I think the, the point there is that it's Notre Dame at the end of the day, right? Like you can't like Kyle Whittingham is going to be a legend at Utah. If he doesn't win a national championship, right. Because of what he's done as far as this sustainment of that program. But that's more because what Utah's, what Utah's, what they believe is their upside as a program. Notre Dame is still about winning national championships. So I agree. It's, it's, is a, it's very, it's very specific to what the situation is. But at Notre Dame, you need to win a national championship. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. Now, you don't got to win a bunch of them, but you've got to be good for a long time and you need at least one title. And that's what, I mean, Lou Holtz was an elite coach for six, seven years in Notre Dame and then won a title, almost yeah. won another, almost won two others, really. I mean, 93 and 89, he were, they were close. They were a game away in both, a late, a late season loss away in both games from playing for another championship. And I think they would have won both years. They would have won the championship. If they had beat Miami, they win a title in 89. If they had beat Boston College, they win a title in 93, in my opinion. So, yeah, but he he he's a, he, he he fits that criteria for me, Ryan. No question about yeah. it. From Vanilla Chills, um, I think we already hit this one. Yep, we already hit this one. Oh, yep, sorry, my bad. I got to get better at taking those out once we get to them. So okay. here, here we go. From USMA87, mailbag question. Was it just me, or did Gino Dudley sound more like an offensive coordinator than a quarterback coach? He talked about installing the offense, 
or is that how the process might be set up at Notre Dame under Jared Parker? Brian, you got to hear from him firsthand. Yeah, right, at the event. Yeah, actually, so. got a, I, I had a chance to talk with Coach Gadouli afterwards because it was kind of funny. I, for two decades, when I would hear the name Gino Gadouli, I'd roll my eyes because my first year. This is funny. It had nothing to do with Gino, uh, or for Coach Gadouli, I should say. My first year of coaching, I was at Wittenberg University. And so I was finishing up my degree. So like that first semester I, I went there in the, like kind of that spring, I was living in the dorm, one of the dorms. And so it was like this old like Civil War era building. And like I was told that like it was just an old ruggedy building, raggedy building. But anyway, three, two, three doors down were some football players. And one of them was a kid named Chad Thompson, who was a starting offensive lineman uh, for us at Wittenberg that year. Really good player. Well, he was from Fort Highlands and he was a teammate of Gino Gadulis. And so Chad would always talk to us about how good Gino Gadouli was and how great Gino Gadouli was. And like, you know, he like popping the old VHS highlight tape and show us how good Gino to the point where it's like, whenever I'm like, Oh God, here we go. We're talking about Gino Gadouli again. So like, then, you know, he goes to Cincinnati and does well. And I'm like, Oh God, I got to hear about Gino Gadouli again. You know? So it's just kind of funny where, and I, so I actually shared that story with coach Gadouli the other day. And I was like, Hey man, I got to apologize. But hearing your name still kind of makes me cringe a little bit. But he remembered Chad, obviously, and got a good laugh out of it. But, uh, you know, so I did have a chance to speak with him uh, br- very briefly. But, look, that's kind of how you want your position coaches to be. I mean, the best teams, your install is happening with your position coach. That's where it starts. I mean, the the head coach, the OC has got to have guys. If you If you don't have coaches around you that you trust to do install, then you've got to get new coaches. Yeah. I mean, that's just a fact, Ryan. Now, once you get to fall camp and, or spring practice starts, then obviously the OC is doing the group installation. But the position coaches have to be able to do that. And so I need a position coach that's talking about how here, here's what we're how we're installing. Here's how we're installing. Because you're starting with the basic of that position. And it's up the OC to bring it all together. And yeah. so uh, that's an important thing. And again, I don't think th- and this is also what we what we talked about around what we hoped for is you've got to kind of have guys that that have that ability, experience, being coordinators, but also be willing to kind of know the role that you're not the coordinator. And you want Jared Parker to sort of, hey, you got to let everybody know you're the boss, but you also have to, you know, put your pride aside and, and realize that, look, I need other guys around me that are really good. And so, so far, it's a good sign that that you have coaches that feel that you don't have Jared Parker stepping in and be like no 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 I I'll do install I do install but you also heard Sam Hartman talk about how he was over at coach Parker's house got to meet his kids and was fishing at his house right i mean so it's both it's yeah. both in my opinion so yes i i also so. loved the one thing Gino Gaduli said coach Gaduli said about tightening the the feet and the base and not messing with the release as much, which I, oh I really like. I really like that, oh. man, because, Brian, it makes me cringe. Like, tightening a release, right? That's cool. But then I hear some people say, change release. And I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> what yeah. are we doing, man? Don't change it. Just Brian, tighten it if, up, man. If, man, if, if you've ever heard me talk about this topic, uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I hate. Now, I've said this before. Is there a time and a place to focus on um, – kind of look at and say, Hey, look, we've got to clean up your mechanics a little bit because it creates inconsistency. You're the way you're throwing with your mechanics is creating release point inconsistency, which makes you an inaccurate quarterback. Yes. You need to work on that though. 
But I love his point about like, I don't really tinker with that a whole lot. You know, we're going to focus on getting the feet right. Because I've always said, Ryan, you've heard me say it a million times. I don't care about a guy's throw. I don't care that Philip Rivers threw the way that he threw. Never bothered me. Is it accurate or not? You know, I I would never teach anyone to throw with as high of a release point as Drew Brees threw with. I would never teach that to someone. But it worked for him. And so I'm all I'm good with it. So I just, it's never been something that I felt like as long as it's not creating issues, then I don't care about release point. The feet are, are your triggering system. I, I've always explained it kind of like a, if you think about a missile, right? There's your, you know, you've got your explosives. You think about all the different parts that go into to a, a, an effective missile, right? What are the main two? Number one is the explosives, right? But what's the other one? It's the guidings. It's the guidance system, right? Like it's, does this going to make sure that your missile hits the target that is intended to hit? Well, the guidance system for a quarterback throwing a football is his feet, not his arm, right? The arm is the delivery system. That's 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 the aspect of the missile that delivers the missile. But once it's delivered it, there's something else that's determining where it's going to go. And it's your feet. And I've always used that as an example, obviously, which doesn't surprise you, Ryan, with my, you know, my my love of history and military history and things like that. But I think those are that's a, a I loved hearing that, Ryan. Absolutely yeah. loved hearing that from him. No question. This is one I want to address, Ryan, because I've had several people mention this to me today. I wanted to address this one. So go ahead and read that one. From Tommy Guns, who said, anyone else concerned about the number of conversations he's had with Tommy Reese? Not at all. Look, I get some of y'all don't like Tommy Reese, but Tommy Reese didn't get fired. He got hired by Nick Saban at Alabama. Right. Right now, am I wanting Jared Parker and Gino Gadulli to be like Tommy Reese? No, be yourself. But there's nobody on the planet that knows that room better than Tommy Reese. True. And it's not calm saying, okay, Coach Reese, what are the drills I should be running today with the quarterbacks? What It's no, hey, talk to me about these kids. What makes him tick? Tommy Reese has been recruiting Tyler Buckner since like, what, 2019? 20, he's known this kid for almost like four or five years. He, he, he recruited Steve Angel. He's known him for a couple years. Nobody in the, in the planet knows these quarterbacks more than Tommy Reese. That's what he's looking for. What makes this kid tick? What are the things that I, you know, hey, look, this kid had a, a, a rough background. And, and so this is, you know, I had a hard time. I was hard on him and I had a hard time reaching him. And once I started kind of finding a new way, that really worked for me. And, and you ask those questions. Now you still have to find your own way, but having sort of that baseline of, I mean, it's like, Ryan, if, if you left and, and, and you, you know, you got, you did something where you started your own business somewhere and then you left Irish breakdown the person that would replace you would be a fool not to call you and say, hey, look, what are what are the ways that that how do I make how do I do a good job here? What are the things that makes Brian tick? What are the things I can do not to piss him off? And what are the things I can do to make him happy? That person would be a fool not to take advantage of that. Re- now, does, is, does that mean that person going to try to come be you? No, they're going to try to be themselves. And it's the same thing here. You'd be foolish not to take advantage of that resource of time release. with, And that's what it's about. It's about knowing the kids in the room. It's not about drills and scheme and maybe there's some stuff where you know this kid's a slow learner you just you got to say things twice for him or this kid picks things up right away or there's all types of things you can learn and i and i I would honestly argue that he's a fool not to he would have been a fool not to have some conversations with tom Reese. 
I mean, if I was Gino Gadulli, I would even be interested to hear like, hey, Tommy, I, I know you guys were obviously trying to find your quarterback in the portal. What was it about Hartman that you liked? Like, tell me what you liked right. about Hartman. Like, just to get a different perspective on him, you know, because you're about to sit down. You're about to watch the film in depth. You're about to work with him one-on-one. Like, what did you like about him out of respect? Like, why do you think he fits here, this 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 environment, this this offense, this this situation, you know? Like, I even that type of stuff, too, I think – can give you some just a different perspective which i think multiple perspectives never hurts man because like i don't have to have your perspective like i can have your perspective and i don't have to believe in what you believe in right i just know what you were seeing through your eyes because at the end of the day i'm going to make my own decisions i'm going to make my own actions i'm going to do all that type of stuff but having other people's opinions and other people's beliefs that only helps you make a better decision in my opinion like what's the best step forward here? How do I reach this person? How do I work with this person? How do I make them the best possible person and player that they can be? Like, I don't think that that perspective can hurt anybody because you don't have to listen to everything Tommy Reese says, even if you don't like everything he said, you know, like, it's just, I don't know, whatever. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. From Stonador says, what year do you think is most important for Marcus Freeman to succeed or worded differently? If you believe Freeman will succeed long-term at Notre Dame, he must have a top-10 team by year blank. A top team, not a top-10 team. Oh, sorry. Sorry, top team by year blank. Yes. I think 2023. I do. And and allow me to explain. Now, look, if he has a team that wins a championship, that trumps what I'm about to say. If they go out there in 2024 and win a championship, it trumps what I'm about to say. But I truly believe that this team has to be really good, like really good. Now, could we see a scenario where they go eleven and two, and we're and and my answer to this is, did they succeed this year? Absolutely. If Notre Dame goes ten and two, we talked about this the other day. Am I happy if Notre Dame goes ten and two this year? No, because I'm a championship guy. You you compete to win a championship. Why else are you playing the game? But if like they go ten and two, and let's say they beat Ohio State and they beat USC, but they lose to Clemson in a barn burner, and then they just lose some other random game that all great teams do. I mean, Ohio State 2018 got blown out by Purdue. The 2014 Ohio State championship team that won a, again, championship team, lost at home to a by two touchdowns to a 7-6 and six Virginia Tech team. The 2016 uh, Clemson team that won a title lost at home to Pitt in November, right? It happens, okay? So let's say they do that. Am I happy about it? No, I'm not happy about it, but I feel like it's progress because you beat Ohio State, you beat USC lost a barn burner to Clemson, had another one, or let's say you'd lose to USC and beat Clemson, whatever, like some, but you beat Ohio state, you go 10 to two, that gets you to, I don't know, cotton bowl or something like that. I'm not quite sure which of the playoff games this year. So like one of the non playoff games, you go to new year six, 
you play some SEC team in the uh, you know in, in the in the New Year's Six Bowl and you win. Oh, that's a that's a successful season. Is it ultimately the ultimate pinnacle of success? No, it's not. That's a championship, but that moves the program forward big time, Ryan. In my opinion, that year they need that. Some they need minimum that kind of season, in my opinion. To to for him to to have the foundation to succeed because I think the nine and four campaign of this year the bad loss to Marshall the bad loss to Stanford if they have a similar season in two thousand and twenty three where let's say they they start beating all the bad teams but then they lose to USC Ohio State and Clemson playing a camping world bowl or something like that again does that really move the program forward and now mm-hmm. all of a sudden you start falling further behind because your recruiting class is going to f- fall further behind. And now all of a sudden you're 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 too far behind the eight ball to, to get caught up, especially in this world of the transfer portal and NIL and all that other kind of stuff. So I really believe this is an incredibly important foundational year for Marcus Freeman. If they don't have success this year, it could create enough stumbling blocks to, you know, really cause some problems. And and the other part too is you have the kind of year I just mentioned, the eleven to two with some big wins. Now, all of a sudden, you've built up enough cachet in your, on, for yourself to maybe start swinging your weight around a little bit more on campus, right? No, no, I know what you're saying, Jack, but nope, this is what we need, right? That That's the other thing, too. So I really think this season is incredibly important for Marcus Freeman Notre Dame. I'm not saying if he doesn't have a great year this year, he's over, it's done, but it's going to get really tough if they have anything anything remotely close to what they had last year. It's gonna, because now it's, okay, great guy, great recruiter, but is he really a great head coach? Whether you think it's fair or not, that's what the outside perception will be if they don't yeah. have a really good year this year, in my view. Well, and I think that when you look at it, it's like 2022 version, there were some excuses built in, right? Because it's like first-year head coach – First time being the head guy, you know, you had your quarterback gets hurt in the second game of the season and you have to play with the backup quarterback. And, you know, there is some excuses built in and some of them are legitimate, right? Like being a head coach for the first time, like that's legitimate, man. That's not easy. Like people act like that's just like a seamless transition. Like, no, dude, that's that's a tough, tough decision, especially for a guy that was 36 years old. Like that was a tough one. Now coming to year two, though, Brian, I mean, for me, when you because I mean, we're going to talk about this all offseason. Notre Dame has a good roster coming back, man. Like at the end of the day, there's not a ton of holes there. You're gonna have one of the best offensive lines in college football. You're gonna have a really talented wide receiver unit. You're gonna have one of the best running back rooms in all of college football. You're gonna have a proven commodity at quarterback who's been extremely successful. You're gonna have a defense that should get better, but even if it's just as good as it was last year, combined with how much better the offense should be. That team needs to win, man. It needs to win, right? Like, I'm not sitting here saying national title or bust, but, like, you need to show that you're getting close to that type of spectrum, to that level of football, because there just is not a – there's not a built-in excuse because even if, God forbid, your quarterback goes down this year, you have a backup quarterback who a lot of teams in college football would die to have, right? Like, you have built a lot of depth on your team as well, in my opinion, at this point. So – Looking at the roster that Coach Freeman has and this staff has coming back, combined with the fact that you just spent a year with the maturation building and you ended the year off on a pretty good note, and you know you went eight and two down the stretch, and there was a lot of great things, obviously. But at the end of the day, year two is a different conversation now, right? Like this is a new resume for year two, 
And with the team that Notre Dame has coming back, you got to show growth. You got to show that you're heading in the right direction. You have to show that you can compete with the big dogs. That's the that's the situation you're in if you're Marcus Freeman, in my opinion. And it's it's going to be an exciting year because we're gonna we're gonna be able to tell a lot about the future of Notre Dame football based upon 2023, in my opinion. All right, next question here, Ryan. We got another one. We got one from Vanilla Chill. Vanilla Chill said, Jared Parker talked about a collaborative approach to the offense with his position coaches. Can that be a good and bad thing, i.e. balancing responsibilities, final decision-making, and play calling? I mean, Brian, we talked a little bit about this, and I, I think I talked the fact that I think Jared Parker, as a first-year head coach at the University of Notre Dame, having his experiences as a play caller – combined with having Joe Rudolph, who's been a play caller on the college level, combined with having Gino Gadulli as a player that's called a coach that's called football, a game on the college level, combined with having a very experienced running back coach in Dela McCullough and Chancey Stuckey, obviously as a big up and coming star at the wide receiver uh, from a wide receiver coach perspective, that's a lot of very interesting perspectives. And you have guys that have called football games so if I'm Jared Parker, and this is kind of the conversation we just had about Gino Gadulli reaching out to Tommy Reese, I think it's a waste of resources for Gino for for Jared Parker to not listen to what his coaches have to say and to pick their minds and to understand what they've been successful at and maybe what some of their pitfalls were even as play callers in the past, so that you can now, I mean, because you're going to have your identity, but it'll you shape always, who you are exactly. exactly. You can. You can always continue to build, continue to grow. What is something that might work for me more in this capacity, in that capacity? What can I try? What do I not like? What do I want to avoid? Just because you listen to all this information, you have the opportunity to now pick what you think works for you and kind of you know put away things that don't work for you. So I think it's a positive as long as you make it a positive, right? Like as long as you have the right mindset, if you're Jared Parker to – Make sure that people understand what their roles are here. And I'm an open, like I, it's open for you to give your give your thoughts, give me your perspective. But from there, you also need to understand that at the end of the day, this is my offense. This is my offense, and this is going to be a collaborative effort, but everybody has their roles. The only time I think it becomes a bad thing is when an identity is kind of muddled and you are just kind of taking things from different people and not actually understanding why you're using certain things and why you're implementing certain things. I think that's the balance you need to have. But I think more often than not, man, having smart, intelligent people around you is a positive. It's just about people buying into their roles at the end of the day. Yeah, that that last part's huge. It's good if you are willing to be the guy that, but also to be the guy that appreciates the talent you have around you. You you can you can be too collaborative. And you can be too arrogant and set in your ways that I know better than everybody else. Those are the two danger zones. You got to find that sweet spot and everybody's got to know their roles. And if you're smart, Ryan, you nailed it. If you're if you're someone who has people like Joe Rudolph and 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 Gino Gadulli and Dylan McCullough and Chancey Stuckey, and you're not utilizing their minds of what your offense should look like, you're an arrogant prick who probably isn't gonna win here, right? And that's not Jared Parker. But you can also be too submissive to people who have done it more than you or, or, or their minds, and not now you're not a leader. Now you're too weak. I think if you know if I I don't know Jared Parker very well, but he doesn't strike me as a submissive guy. He also doesn't strike me as a 
I'm smarter than you, so shut your mouth kind of guy. Right. right. I think he's a pretty confident guy in his ability, but also understands that, yes, I'm I'm really smart and I know what I'm doing, but you know what's even better? Hiring another really smart guy and another really smart guy and another really smart guy. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to be in a position to get the most out of what we have. And that's how you win at a place like Notre Dame, in my opinion. Well, that's that. We'll find out if that's definitely how he is, Ryan, but that how he yeah. that's how he strikes me. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, we always talk about coaches at the core or teachers, right? And I know from experience, and I, you know, because I was a co-teacher a lot in my teaching career because I was a special education teacher. But you need to understand that when you're working with people, there still has to be one unified voice. Because you know what, you know what kids do, what young men do, what young women do when there's too many voices? They stop listening because <laughs> then they're like, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're trying to get across to me. I don't understand what the message is. I don't know who I'm supposed to be listening to. At the end of the day, the offensive players need to know I need to listen to Coach Parker because everything that happens in that room is because he wants it that way. Because that's what he thinks is best for this football team. And Coach Rudolph and Coach Stuckey and Coach McCullough and everybody else involved in that room, Coach Caduli, they have bought into that unified voice. Otherwise, people are just going to stop listening. And the minute that happens is the minute that you lose control of a program. Matt Sakalowski has another question, has a recruiting question for us here, Ryan. Go ahead and read that one. How does the 2024 recruiting class look compared to the same time last year for the 2023 class? All right. I'll, I'll be honest here, Ryan. I'm going to give my take on this, and I want to get your stance. It's sure. very, very similar to where last year's class was at this time. It's just reversed. So last year at this time, you had two offensive players and six defensive players. And we were we were all sitting here list every week. We do a show you know, Reese sucks and where, you know, where's offensive recruiting and, and all this kind of stuff. And it was just like, you know, let it play out. And eventually the offensive class was every bit as good, if not better than the defensive class. Well, now we're there with the other way around. We have five offensive commits in this class. I think it was eight and eight is what you and I determined last year. Right, Ryan. So last year you had Cedric Irvin Jr. Cooper Flanagan were the only offensive commits. Not great. The six defensive commits were Keon Keeley, Brennan Vernon, Drake Bowen, Preston Zinter, Peyton Bowen, and Justin Rett. And obviously, a good chunk of those guys ended up not in the class for some some of their some on their own. Others Notre Dame, like Justin Rett and Cedric Irvin, were as much Notre Dame saying, "Hey, you need to maybe go look somewhere else." Keon Keeley obviously left on his own accord. Peyton Bowen left on his own accord. To me, this year's class, you've got five offensive commits and three defensive commits. The offense is way ahead of, of the defense. There are less, there are fewer guys that I'd be worried about flipping in this class than last year. But at this point in time, Ryan, who who knows? I mean, this is just right. such a strange the recruiting universe. I will say this. I think I think the offense, I think this year's offensive class is every bit as good as last year's defensive class. I, I, I just do. I think that CJ Carr is a five-star. I think Cam Williams is outstanding. You know, I, I think the rest of those guys are good football players. You had one more guy, which is part of it. And then I think this year's defensive class is definitely better than last year's offensive class at this time. Owen Wafel, Leonard Moore, and Carson Hobbs are definitely better than what Cedric Irvin Jr. and Cooper Flanagan were. So it's similar. Here's where I'm a little bit more concerned about the 24 class. At this time a year ago, there were a lot of really good players that we could look at and say, I feel they're in a great place with that guy. Some of them they got, some of them they didn't. 
this year I look at the recruiting class, Ryan, and I don't really know who else they're going to add to this class that's a high-level player. I mean, I feel good about where they are with Bryce Young. I feel good about where they are with, like, Cole Sullivan. You know, I feel good about where they are with some guys like that. But I I don't know who they're going to – I don't know who their number two back is going to be. I don't know who the other linemen they're going to get in this class are going to be. I don't know. I don't have a clue what their front seven class is going to look like right now outside of Wayful, maybe Bryce Young and, and you know, Cole Sullivan, who I, who I feel good about. But there's a lot of what ifs. There's a lot of I don't there's a couple there's more positions I'm concerned about this year than there was last year. Yeah. And and, uh, you know, so you look at it and you, and you kind of felt like. But again, a year ago at this time, what I have predicted that Notre Dame would have finished with the receiver class they predicted no we're still over a month away from them getting Braylon James who was the first commit in that class right and, where and and that and that building of momentum had probably just started around this time last yeah, year it was, it was, was the like, March oh, okay. visits yeah they yeah. had a, some great February and March remember remember they had a late February visit where they just knocked it out of the park with like yeah. Monroe Freeling and Sullivan Absher and those kind of guys and then you were able to get them to commit in April or get sell uh, get Sullivan Absher to commit in April. You had just recently offered Sam Pendleton, who then committed in April. So it's still too early to panic because yeah. there's some guys that were considered. I mean, who the heck knew who the who who Micah Bell was at this time a year ago? Notre Dame was fading with Christian Gray at this time a year ago. Uh, he was kind of looking a lot at at guys like Ohio State and LSU and teams like that, and then you end up rebounding. Or so. They ended up finishing with some guys that I wouldn't have predicted a, a year ago in March. So again, I'm a little more concerned about this class now than I was a year ago, and that's partly why I think they need to really have a successful season on the field. Yeah. But part of my concern is Ryan. I don't love the 2024 class quite as much as I love the 23 class nationally at positions where it's important. Like there's some really good D linemen in this class, but like there's no one that's in Keon Keeley's league. in in this class in my opinion that there just isn't so it's a good linebacker class this year is not nearly as good as the 2023 linebacker class nationally in my opinion and so it's a little concerning for me but there's a ton of defensive backs and some of them aren't ranked very high I mean yeah look they could get a three-man safety class right now of guys that are ranked as mostly three-star players that I would love that fans won't be excited about. Like I've said, Ryan, you can you can tell me what you think about this when I'm done. But if they if right now if Notre Dame finished with some three man combination of Davis Andrews, Jalen McClain, Kennedy Erlacher, and Demello Jones, give me three of those four in some capacity, I'd be ecstatic. Yes. But a lot of people in this chat would be pissed because most of those guys are low ranked players. I don't care. Those guys are really good football players. Leonard Moore. Oh, why are you taking a three-star kid? What does rivals do? The next rank, jump them right up to number 150, which is about where he should be. You yes. know, so there's some there's a lot of guys like that in this year's class, Ryan, that you've got to take a flyer on. You know, like Cole Sullivan. I didn't like Cole Sullivan when I first watched him, but I had you liked him and you were like, watch him again. And then somebody else that I respect in the in the business said, watch him again. So I, I studied a little bit more film, watched some game film. Like, you know what? I've really come around to that kid. And now I like them a lot more. So take I got to take this one. Yep, you're good. I mean, yeah, I mean, so it it is a little bit of an interesting conversation, though. And I mean, honestly, I was going to lo- use Leonard Moore as a little bit of a example here. I mean, Leonard Moore is a player that I remember there was a a individual in the chat during his commitment ceremony, and we had the, obviously the live show for it. 
and someone had said, oh, man, Notre Dame getting another three-star. And I'm just like, guys, like this is not going to be a three-star when everything ends. I'm telling you, man, it's not going to happen. I mean, 6'2", 170-plus, good athlete, really nice change of direction for a player his size, plays in Texas against some really good competition. Like, this is not going to be a three-star. It's just not going to be. Yet, I had to hear this conversation, obviously. Oh, he's a three-star, he's a three-star. And I, I actually remember – I think I was going to comment in the chat recently because what Brian just said, now he's up to a, a four-star, 150 player in the country by one of the platforms. And he's only going to rise throughout this process. Like he's he's a talented kid, man. But to Brian's point, and I think that we feel very similarly about a lot of the class, it was really an incredible job by Notre Dame to get C.J. Carr early. To get early in early with Cam Williams because Cam Williams had a nice offer list. But they really prioritized him early, obviously, the wide receiver out of Illinois. And at that point, he was ranked in the hundreds by everyone, right? He was kind of looked at as that guy. Well, then you look a couple minutes after, you're like, after his junior campaign, it's like that kid is a that kid is a legitimate top 50 overall player. And I would argue that Cam Williams might end up being a five-star recruit when it's all said. Like I, I truly believe that because, I mean, when you look at it, you're like 6'2", plus – 190 pounds, fast, productive, good route run. Like, there's just a lot to love about a guy like a Cam Williams. So, offensively, where I'm sitting right now is that, like, hey, man, you've got a lot of great baseline players in this class. You got a five star quarterback. You got a guy like Cam Williams, who I think has five star upside at wide receiver. You got Jack Larson, who's a good football player at, at tight ends. You have Aeneas Williams, who is obviously the number one rated all purpose back in the 2024 class by rivals and you have Peter Jones who is a really solid offensive lineman in this group a guy that probably could play right tackle but he's going to be a guard most likely in his career during Notre, at Notre Dame so when you put that offensive class together you're like that baseline to work with is really impressive man and I feel I feel good about I feel good about where the offensive class is going I mean there's definitely some things to figure out as far as who that second running back going to be the wide receiver group. I think Notre Dame's in a good spot with several of the top receivers on the board. It's just about, hey, who's the two to three guys in this class that they end up getting? Who, what's it ultimately going to look like? Because I think Notre Dame has a chance to put together a really, really good wide receiver group again in back-to-back years under Coach Stuckey. Who's the second tight end in the class? Is it going to be Carter Nelson? Is it going to be Caleb Odom? Is it going to be Jaden Riddell? Like, there's some talented players that are on the board, obviously. They have prioritized Jaden Riddell and Carter Nelson as the second tight end potentially in the class. But I really am interested to see Joe Rudolph coming in because I talked to Peter Jones and Peter Jones was just so ecstatic after talking to Joe Rudolph. They had a long conversation on the phone. And I think that when you look at Joe Rudolph's past and his history as a recruiter, on top of just some of the relationships he's already built with some guys that are, Notre Dame is, already has on the board. I think the offensive line group is going to end up being a good, a nice group in 2024 as well. So I'm not really concerned about the offensive class at all. The defensive side of the ball is the completely different conversation and a completely different animal. You're just at a point for me where safety, I feel good about where Notre Dame is with several safeties. Cornerback, at this point, you have your two cornerbacks in, in – in Leonard Moore and Carson Hobbs, it's just about finding who the third guy potentially is, right? So secondary recruiting, I'm good with. But defensively, it's the front seven. It is, man. 
A lot of talented defensive linemen on the board. There is a lot of talent, including Owen Waple, who's committed to Notre Dame in the 2024 class. But you could tell me about 17 different combinations of how this class visits because we're, we're finishes. We're thinking it's going to be a probably a five man class is what it ultimately is going to be. There, there's some people that say four, but I think it's going to get pushed to five, especially if there's a certain situation that happens. So you're looking at this class, you're just like, look, man, there, there has potential to be a nice defensive line, line hole at the end. But you hear about a couple of the guys maybe that they're prioritizing, a couple other guys that just are on their radar but not really. Just a lot of uncertainty in the defensive line class. And then linebacker. Like, I have no idea what's happening with linebacker. I mean, Brian, you mentioned about Cole Sullivan, right? It's like good situation with Cole Sullivan. You know, they like Kingston Vialma, Asa, obviously, out there in St. John Bosco. You know, there's a couple. Oh, I like. I actually like him quite a bit. I like him, too. He's a good football player. But my, I mean, but there's just more uncertainty at linebacker as far as like, yeah, there, we know some players that they like, but how much do they like them back? You know, like who are the reasonable options, right. I think, is like my biggest thing. So, I mean, I was just kind of saying when you had to get off, like I feel pretty good about where the offensive class is going. I feel good about where the offensive class is going, honestly. Defensive yeah. class outside of the secondary, man, I just – like a lot of talent on the board, I just don't know right. how it's going to end up. Like, there's so many different yeah. situ- there's so many different there's so many different groupings of defensive linemen this year where I'm just like, yeah, that could be the defensive line class. Or I'm, that, and, and that I'm a lot more cons- I'm a lot more concerned about D line than I am linebacker because I feel like linebacker to a degree it's just going to be a down year compared to last year's rankings wise because it's a down year nationally. It's not a great linebacker class from what I've seen, and even some of the linebackers that I like. I don't think are quite as good as some people. Like I've seen Chris Jones and he's a nice player, but I don't think he is what some people make him out to be. You know, there's Aaron Childs who I like a lot. I mean, there's some Tylen Singleton. There's some good bat linebacks in this class that I don't think they're going to have a shot to get, Yeah, which is a problem, right? Sure. I mean, that's a problem, but it's also not a great year at linebacker. So you're recruiting with a lot more big timers for those kids. And so I think that's a little bit problematic, but you, you've done so well at linebacker in recent years, you can have a bit of a down year. Plus there's some safeties in this class that I think could end up being really good linebackers down the road, Rovers and Wills. You know, for me, Ryan, the D line, I look at it and I'm like, there's just, there's, there's a lot of dudes that you just flat out are whiffing on some of it. NIO related, you, nothing you can do about that. Others, it's just, you're not putting in the work. And so to me, it makes it even more imperative that you get Justin Scott. You cannot afford to get, not get Justin Scott. You have to after that, Scott. you're going to, you're going to have some projects. You're going to have Bryce young, you know, potentially you could get Cam Clark who I, I like Cam Clark, but he's, he's, he's a bit raw. You know, he's he a guy right. that's going to need some time. You're going to get more guys like that. You know, you're, you're going to get the Smith twins where one of them I, I think is a good player. The other one, I'm not sure about, you know, he's a little more Howard Cross than he is, you know, the guys they got last year, just a good football player. Yeah. So it's just kind of like you're reverting back to the pre era when it comes to D line recruiting, where you're making a lot of excuses why you're not getting the top guys. When in reality, it's more of a coaching issue than it is anything else. And hopefully Al Golden can fix that or Al Washington can fix that. But right now, the the front seven recruiting from Washington and Golden is just has left a lot to be desired, to be completely honest with you. And you can't just say it linebacker. Well, that's a down year because the reality is, is it, it's it wasn't a down year until Marcus Freeman wasn't the linebacker coach anymore. I mean, he put sure. together two excellent classes in a row and now you're struggling with it. So um you know, but like you said, a receiver, they're going to turn down dudes. They're going to have to. Yes. There's, yes. there's like 
five or six guys right now that I could see Notre Dame is the leader for and you or, or have a great shot to get and you can't take them all. Yep. You're going to probably have to turn some of them down. And and so, you know, some of the names we know, like Jeremiah McClellan, Ryan Wingo, guys like that, we know, but like Quasi Gilmer, Micah Gilbert, keep an eye on them. Isaiah Canyon is a guy that not a lot of you know about, but I'm telling you, you need to go watch that kid right now. He Out of Warner a, Robins, he, Georgia. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same high school as Chance Jason, Jason Robinson's another one. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're going to yeah. turn, you know, so you get Jason Robinson and Isaiah Canyon, for example, right? You're taking three receivers. I'll still take a, a Ryan Wingo, but I can't, I don't think you can justify taking him at Mosley now, who I like. So there's just a lot of that where it's like, man, I don't, I, First of all, I'd like to see them say we got to take four. There's too much yes. talent in this receiver class. We have to take. I, th- four. I think you. I think you have to, right? Because I would say yeah. this, Brian. You mentioned it's a down year at linebacker in 2024. You know where it's not a down year? Oh, Wide receiver is a stud yeah. class, man. It's a really good group. Yeah, really good group. Yeah, yeah. It it, it really is. Maybe, maybe Michael Gilbert could play some rover too, so we could throw him <laughs> over there or something. <laughs> Use that excuse and then move him back to receiver when he gets here for fall camp. There you go. Exactly. Thank mm-hmm. you.